Open your Bible to the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. I love the message in that song because it kind of takes us back to, uh, it's kind of a Christmas story, really. It's a Christmas song. It's on Casting Crown's Christmas album, as a matter of fact. But the, the idea is this, that uh, the King and the Lord of all glory was born in the city of Bethlehem and at night, and nobody in Bethlehem knew it. The reason why nobody in Bethlehem knew it was because they were all asleep. And then Jesus, the King of all glory, the Son of God, is being crucified in the city of Jerusalem, and nobody seems to really care. I mean, criminals were crucified you know, out on a hill by the Romans probably daily. So it wasn't nothing real big. Just another, just another uh, crook, another criminal out there dying on the cross. And so everybody went about their way and went to bed and, and missed the fact that God had entered the city uh, because they were sleeping. And then I love that last verse that America, in a sense, has come into the same uh, sense of spiritual sleep um, in that God at one time was in full control of this country. I mean, he was the one, he blessed this country. And we've kind of rooted him out. And God is wanting to move. He's wanting to do a great thing. Uh, and we're kind of missing it because we're spiritually asleep. I love the line, we're, we're more concerned about saving the trees uh, than we are saving the children. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we kill our babies by the, by the truckload every, every day in our, in our country, uh, and people don't seem to think that's a, a too big of a deal, uh, but you let a, a, a dog get abused or beat, and then, you know, that person is... Uh, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. So the idea is that basically, you know, as a nation of the world is somewhat in a spiritual slumber, and one day Jesus is going to come, and we don't want, when, when God comes, we don't want to be like Bethlehem and Jerusalem and miss it. Amen? Uh, so, the, the, so thank you. Great, again, great job, Steve. That was impressive. Uh, and so I want to jump into Isaiah chapter 60 here. And uh, on that note, uh, let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But, everybody say but. But the Lord will rise upon you. Let me say that again. But the Lord will rise upon you. But first of all, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to his people. Okay? He's speaking specifically, this is the prophet Isaiah, giving a specific message to the nation of Israel from God himself. And so, this being the word of God that applies to every generation and to every people. The Word of God is timeless, meaning it applies to every generation and every people. God is speaking this same message to His people today, which is us, right? Which is the church. So, behold, a darkness shall cover the earth, that darkness of sin, the darkness of wickedness and powers of hell will cover the earth, but the Lord will rise upon you and His glory will be seen Upon you, upon his church, okay? All nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Pray with me. Father, I love you today. I commit myself into your hands that you may speak the word as you see fit. Let our ears be open, ready to hear. God, we just pray that this moment, in this moment you might shake us just a little, God. Let us not be asleep. Let us be awake and alert to see the things that are taking place around us every day that we might be prepared and ready for all that you do in, in the future. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everybody give me a shout of amen. 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 So there's going to be darkness that covers the earth. We know that. Always has been as far as sin is concerned. No different today. A lot of times people say, oh, it's, it's worse than it's ever been. 
I don't know. It seemed like it was pretty bad in Sodom and Gomorrah for God to destroy it. And it was pretty bad the days of Noah uh, for God to destroy the earth. So I don't know that it's necessarily any worse than it's ever been. You know why? Because the human heart has always been wicked, right? But the, but the fact is, the closer it comes to the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, we do see within Scripture uh, that there's a rising you know, of, of sin and wickedness and darkness uh, and even, even the world itself being in revolt. Uh, I mean, the scripture talks about how the, the world is, basically the earth is groaning for the coming of the Lord. Amen? Because the sin of mankind messed up the earth too. So anyway, all of this stuff, these things that are happening around us and the darkness uh, comes in around us everywhere. And so all the more reason for us as God's people to rise and shine. Amen? That's what God was saying to the Israelites. Rise, get up, and shine. And that's what God is calling us as a church to do is to rise up. Uh, wake up, cheer up for crying out loud, right? I mean, stand up for what is right and shine. Let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen? We know Jesus taught, you know, that a light does no good if you cover it up with a basket, right? You have to light, let the light so shine and get out there. We're, we're called to be a city that's set on a hill. You put a city on a hill, you take, take New York City with all of its lights and put it up on a hill, people are going to be able to see it for miles away. That's what God is calling us to do, to rise and to shine in the dark hour that we're living in. Amen? So, you know, we can't reach, nobody can reach their full potential when they're asleep, right? I mean, when you're asleep, you can't fix a motor in a car. You can't reach your potential. You have to be awake. And God is saying, I have, when we read this here, He's saying, all the nations shall come to your light. Think about that. He's talking to the, His people. All the nations who are in darkness will come to your light. If you were lost in the woods and it was pitch black in the middle of the night and you couldn't see anything, but suddenly you saw a light way off in the distance, where are you going to go? You're going you're gonna to beeline right towards that light. And that's what God has called us to be. He said all the nations or all the people, all the people in Willow Springs or Kabul or, Willow Spring, or uh, uh, Mountain View or wherever you live, the people in the darkness will be drawn, will come to your light. Why? Because we have the message of hope. We have the message of life. We have the message of forgiveness. So people who are lost and have no hope are looking for it. And we know they're all looking for it in the wrong places, but what if, what if the church shone like it was supposed to? What if the church reflected the light of Jesus Christ the way that God intended it? Then people in darkness could be found. Amen? This is the way God intended His church to be. Not sleepy and going through the motions, but to stand out that other people might come to know Him. Man, we, we as a church can't reach our full potential if we're spiritually sleeping. Amen? And so this is obviously uh, not a finger pointing because it's easy to drift off to sleep spiritually. I've been there. Uh, and there's times where God's got to, Dennis, wake up. Right? We just get, the, the world rocks us to sleep. I mean, Satan, he just has, Satan's got a lullaby. Okay? That lullaby is, is apathy and complacency. And apathy, basically what it is, is it's a lack of interest. It's a lack of concern. It's a lack of enthusiasm. We just, I mean, Satan is not the slightest bit concerned that you're here in church today. In fact, he encourages it. If he can get everybody to go to church and then rock us to sleep to where we're not enthused about it, we just kind of drift and we're not really concerned about the people who are lost out there, then we become ineffective and his cause rises. And he gets, he, 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 his, his cause does better. 
So he likes us to be in church as long as we're, we're, we're apathetic and, and, or complacent. Complacent basically means, uh, you know, as long as everything's good in my life, I'm okay. I mean, whatever. It's kind of a, oh well. You know, things are good for me, so oh well, whatever happens out here. And so Satan, with that lullaby, rocks us, even as God's people, he rocks us to sleep, and then we just kind of go to church, we go to the mind, and we're really not effective. We can't do anything while we're asleep. And so God, from the beginning of time, has sounded an alarm to wake his people up to make them effective. Amen? So so this sermon today, as it was in the days of uh, of Isaiah, which was, I, I, I think, this is somewhere around 700, some odd B.C., maybe, give or take. So God, God's people have always had a tendency to drift off, right? It's not, that, it's not that they're any better, we're any better than they are, that we're, we're any worse. We're just people. And we have a tendency as human beings to just kind of drift off uh, and be a little bit more concerned about our own lives than the, the, the things of God. So God comes along as he did in the days of, uh, of uh, Isaiah, and he, just, he sounds an alarm, okay? There's, a, there's an alarm clock that that God has built in. It's a, the Holy Spirit serves as that, that alarm clock to get us to rise up, that's, to rise and to shine in, in our day. So if you think about, I'm sure every one of you, when your alarm goes off in the morning, I'm sure that you just, you pop right up, and the first thing out of your mouth, mouth is, yes, I get to begin another glorious day. Thank you, alarm. And you just let it keep ringing. You know what I mean? You love the sound of the alarm because it's getting you into motion. That's where you are, right? That's where I am. Isn't everybody like that? Amen. Yeah, Jeff really is. I mean, he really is. Uh, yeah, Jeff, Jeff doesn't fit this uh, protocol. But for the most part, most of us, which is really the way we should be. I mean, we were saying about it this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So we really should be more uh, like that. But we have a tendency... Alarms are annoying. I mean, you'll notice an alarm clock doesn't play, you know, you know, la, la, la. You know, an alarm clock doesn't play a nice, soft tune. Why? Because we would sleep right through it, and if, we, if it did wake us up, it'd put us right back to sleep. So they make them where they go, eh, 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 and the most annoying sound you can possibly think of, that's the way they make an alarm clock sound, because it's got to, basically most of us, other than Jeff, it's got to annoy you out of bed. Right and, but as annoying as it is, for me at least, it's essential for uh, it's essential for my day, getting my day started. I mean, some people can wake up without an alarm. I can't. If I don't have an alarm, I'll be there till noon. Right? Well, maybe not noon, but I'll, I'll sleep past what I'm supposed to. An alarm is essential to to making me get into my day and get my day started, and so. The messages like this can kind of be the same way. I'm sure, uh, not just with this message, I'm sure you may find this message annoying today. And, and it makes us uncomfortable. It does me. Because we get to thinking, well, I'm kind of liking life the way it is. And then somebody, you know, some annoying guy gets up and starts uh, preaching that kind of gets us a little restless in our, in, our, in our seat, so to speak. So I hope it's a little annoying uh, today. Uh, if, if I see you all drifting off, I'm going to go, eh, 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 right? Uh, but I hope it's a little annoying. The Word of God needs to annoy us somewhat in our flesh so that we can't drift off to sleep. You know how aggravating it is when you're wanting to sleep and, and, and people won't let you? My, my son is the worst about that, by the way. When we're uh, watching a movie or something, and I'll be like drifting off, he'll be like, Dad! We'll get, Dad! I'm just like, I just want to sleep! Leave me alone! But he keeps us. So that's the way I'm going to be with you today. Uh, that's the way God is being with us. He just will not let us drift off to sleep. 
and we don't want him to. Spiritual sleep, honestly, is uh, Satan's most powerful tool uh, when it comes to uh, his work. I mean, he's effectively singing people to sleep um, day after day. And what happens is when we're asleep, we're not aware of the dangers around us, right? You're not aware of your surroundings at all. You're basically unconscious in a sense. I mean, you're, just, you're not aware of anything, and that's the way he likes to keep us. For me personally now, if, uh, when I'm asleep, a tornado could take the roof off of my house and put it in the next county, and I probably wouldn't know it. I mean, I, just, I can just sleep right through. That's the way you know, sleep is like that. You're just not aware of the things going on around you, even, even sometimes the dangerous things going on around you. Um, you're just not aware of it because you're asleep. And so the world, if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint, that when we get into a spiritual slumber, so to speak, the world, I mean, let's be honest, the world around us is falling apart. Does anybody see that besides me? I mean, the world around us is falling apart. I mean, we've got... There's all the instability in the Middle East, and there's uh, you know economic decline, and there's rising natural disasters. I mean, the whole world around us is just kind of collapsing, and you would think that we would be alert. I mean, you'd think if a tornado came over, you would be wide awake, but if you're asleep, you're not. You're not noticing it. And so you would think, with all the stuff going on in the world today, that everybody would be a Christian. I mean, you would think, with all the stuff going on around us every day in the world that every Christian would absolutely be on fire and working for Jesus and, and wide awake and studying the Word of God and praying and staying. You'd think that we would be because all the stuff around us is going on, but in many cases we're not because why? We've kind of just kind of drifted off to sleep a little bit. We're not aware of our surroundings, and that's the way the devil wants to keep it. If we're not aware of what's going on around us, then he can sneak past us. Amen? Why do thieves come in the middle of the night? Because you're sleeping, right? And you're not ready and you're not alert. Um, turn with me into Proverbs chapter 6 real quick. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Proverbs 6 and 6. Go to the ant. O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. In other words, well, let me go a little further. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. So basically what God is saying here in writing this to us is that basically in many cases an ant is smarter than we are. Look at the ant, he's saying. Well, no, he's actually saying look at the ant, you lazy bum. That's what he's saying. That's what a sluggard is, right? Look at, look at the ant, you lazy bum. The ant knows that it's got stuff to do. The ant knows that wintertime is coming. What does, a win, what does the wintertime represent for an ant? Hard times, right? Difficult times. I mean, the snow's coming. And some, somehow even an ant is aware of its surroundings and, and, and aware of the impending dangers that are coming upon it. And so it prepares. It's, it's awake. It's, it's, get, it's gathering in food and so on and so forth. As, as should we, when we see the wintertime approaching, so to speak, the dangers ahead in the world around us, especially in a day when, when, when the gospel is under attack, right? And, and, and uh, you know, people are trying everything they can to snuff out. Let me put it this way. Jesus said himself, okay, to all of us as followers, Jesus himself, fully disclosure, said, they hate me and they're going to hate you. Now, we're not living in a time too awful much where that's the case right now 
but it's increasing. Increasingly, every year, people hate Christians and they hate the gospel, and that's only going to increase. And so we see that approaching. We should be like the ant and not be lazy, but preparing, storing up uh, the Word of God within us, uh, storing up the Spirit of God and, and hope and encouragement and power and all of these types of things. And then he goes on to say this, uh, How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And then look at this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And that kind of brings chills on me just a little bit. Just a little sleep. Now, what? Now, for me, I don't know about you, I could, I could go out there right now in the middle of the day. It could be 40 degrees. I could curl up on that pavement and I could go to sleep. I could sleep anywhere. And if I think to myself, I'm just going to lay here and close my eyes for five minutes, I'll wake up an hour later if I don't have something to sleep. What he's saying is this. A little slumber. In other words, some, if the devil can convince us, okay, just, just take a break from all of this church stuff, right? I mean, just... Just, you know, I mean, the Lord's there. Just, you don't have to get too awful antsy. Don't get in a big hurry. Just, just take a little nap. Yeah. Rock my baby. Just take a little nap. And how many of you know, we all know, that Satan is a liar? He knows if he can get us to take a little nap. In other words, if we can just ease up on our convictions just a little, then it's easier for him to rock us into that deep sleep. Yeah. How long are you going to lay there, you bum? That's what the Scripture says. How long are you going to lay there, you lazy bum? Don't you want to get up and get something accomplished? Don't let Satan rock you to sleep. That's kind of what happened with David. Not to go into any details, but David was a man of God that did great things. And there was one moment, the Bible says, that when all the kings would go out to battle, David stayed home. It was like, and it was in that moment when he got out of the battle, he took a break, he, he took a little nap, and that was the moment when he saw Bathsheba out on the roof. And he fell into... Horrible sin, right? We take a little nap and poverty comes upon us like a robber. And uh, one thing that we don't want, now, ain't none of us probably in this, I mean, we may never be spiritually, or I mean, uh, physically rich, uh, monetarily rich, and we may not be considered poor, but above all things, spiritually, we never want to find ourselves in spiritual poverty. What is poverty? It's a lack. It's a huge... If, you, if people say, oh, they're, they're living in poverty, it means they have a lack of money. And so spiritual poverty is a lack of the presence of God. It's a lack of conviction in which the Spirit of God is constantly dealing with us about what we should do and not, and not do. And we fall into that place of spiritual poverty, we, rock, we, we just literally rock to sleep. So, that being said, all throughout time, God... Uh, has warned the human race against this the way that the enemy rocks us to sleep. Uh, every generation, every generation has taken Satan's sedative at some point in time, but God, in His mercy, has always been faithful to sound an alarm. Right in His mercy, you know, God God's not trying to just wreck our good time. God wants us to be spiritually healthy and prepared and ready. And so there are example after example after example. Uh, I didn't even it didn't really dawn on me until I got to studying this message, and I'm not going to go into the details of each one, but just to kind of rake across a couple uh, throughout the scripture, uh, we take a look at like someone like Jonah, who uh, became very apathetic. You know, I mean, God said, "Okay, here's the nation of Nineveh. They're wicked people, and they're sinful, and they're about to face my destruction." 
Okay? They're about to, I'm about to rain judgment on Nineveh, but in my mercy, I'm giving them one last, I'm, I'm making one last uh, stretch of my hand. So Jonah, this preacher, this prophet, I need you to go over to Nineveh and preach to them that they're facing destruction and they need to repent. And Jonah didn't give a rip about the Ninevites. I mean, you got to remember too, the, the Ninevites, they were wicked people. I mean, number one, they were, they were harsh against the nation of Israel. So probably Jonah had a little bit of prejudice in his heart about, towards these Ninevites, could be. Maybe he feared for his life. I don't know, whatever the case is, Jonah said, I ain't going. And so we find him, when you read on through the rest of that, we know the story, Nineveh's that way. Jonah said, that means I'm going that way. And he gets on a ship heading to Tarshish, which is completely the opposite direction of what God sent him. But the interesting, the interesting thing is that I hadn't really seen before is that whenever he's on that ship heading away from the, the work of God, uh, he goes down into the bottom of the ship, and guess what happens? He goes to sleep. Was there any concern in his heart at all about the Ninevites who were about to perish? None. He just went to sleep. I was like, hey, I'm I'm good. There's, there's no better example of apathy and complacency than that. As long as I'm good, I'm safe. And he heads off the other direction with no concern. And I wonder at times, uh, we, we ride this church, churchy ship at times. We're going in the right direction. We know that. We know that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we're heading towards eternity with God. We've been forgiven of our sins. And so easy to come and get into this church ship and just kind of be okay with that. I mean, we're excited. We're going to heaven and we can just kind of fall asleep singing our little songs and preaching our little sermons and so on and so forth, having our little Bible study lessons and forget that there's a world out there that's dying and going to hell, right? And so, the, you know, I mean, you know the, the, the story. I mean, the, the storm comes, God sends a storm and you talk about an alarm clock, you talk about a wake-up call. Uh, God knows how to wake us up. I mean, I, Jonah wasn't even drowsy by the time God got done with him, right? Sends the storm, you know, they throw him out. Well, the, first of all, the, uh, uh, the captain of the ship comes to Jonah, he's asleep. They're all up here tossing everyone. Even the, even the guys on the boat are scared to death. They're throwing over all of the expensive merchandise. And they're like, where's that, where's that one Jewish dude? Uh, they goes down, he goes down to the bottom of the ship, and there's this guy sleeping. It's like, we're about to die here, and you're sleeping. Get up, wake up, it's what Wake up and call on your God. Amen. That's, what God. that's the message today. Amen. That's what God is saying. Wake up and call on your God. Amen. Of course, you know what happens. They throw him overboard. The whale swallows him, takes him up, spits him up on the shore. Conveniently, close to Nineveh, right? And uh, Jonah went and done what he was supposed to do. There's a whole, lot of, a whole other lot of stuff there. I mean, well, I won't go into all of it, but I mean, he didn't exactly wake all the way up. That, he, that dude had some, he had some issues. That guy had an attitude. You know, if you read the book of Jonah, it's only like, what, one, two or three chapters or something like that. Read it. You find out that Jonah had quite the attitude. And, but before, when you're reading it, before you judge him too much, take a little bit of an inventory uh, of yourself because you might find a little Jonah uh, in you. Uh, I think there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. <clears throat> I was thinking about <clears throat> uh, Samson. Samson's strongest man to ever live physically strong, could, could defeat. There was no man that could beat him. And there were instances where he, he literally killed a thousand men, a thousand Philistine warriors. He killed with the jawbone of an ass. Jawbone of a common old donkey. And he 
killed a thousand men by himself with that one. So you see the strength that he had. God had empowered him with a certain strength that he could carry out and execute the work of God in his day and in his generation. But Samson, as we all do, had weaknesses. Satan knew what his buttons were. Satan knows what your buttons are. Satan knows what my buttons are. What do you mean by that? It means he knows what, what my weaknesses are, and what your weaknesses are, what, maybe what has a tendency uh, to draw us away from God. And he's constantly pushing at those buttons. And Samson, one of his weaknesses was women. And we see a, we see a gradual, and I'm not going to go through it all, but you see a gradual compromise with Samson. It's not like he was powerful one day and then boom, all of a sudden he messed up one time and now his strength's gone. It, it was just something that happened over a period of time, which is how we go to sleep, by the way. My wife would argue with that. I can like put my head down, poof, I'm gone. But for the most part, we drift off to sleep. And, and so Samson, first of all, I'm going to take you through this. First of all, he's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to be around any dead bodies at all. He sees a, a dead lion's carcass with some honey in it. Bees had set up a hive, and he was forbidden. He was not supposed to go around any dead body. And he goes over, he compromised just a little, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, a little slumber, a little compromise. He goes over and says, what's it going to hurt? He, he grabs some honey out of that carcass. Oh, that's so good. And he goes about his way. may not seem like a big deal, but it's a small compromise. And one compromise always leads to another compromise. I promise you that. One compromise always leads to another compromise. And then he, he wants, you know, as a Jewish man, he's only supposed to marry Jewish women. But he finds these, he finds these Philistine women intriguing and beautiful, and so he, he marries a, a woman that's, that's not a, a Jewish person. So another, one more compromise, and then you know, you know the rest of the story, the Paul Harvey, as far as Delilah was concerned. Here this woman, she wasn't exactly your church girl. Right, I mean, this one, this girl was not only was she not Jewish, but she was a harlot, if I remember correctly, wasn't she? I'm pulling from memory here, but she wasn't a very, I mean, she wasn't a very wholesome lady. And but he falls in love with her, he spends time with her, and everything else along the way. And what we find when we when we go through there is that little by little he compromised because she was working for the enemy. The Philistines had hired her to find out where the source of Samson's strength was so that they could defeat him. They were kind of holding a grudge for those thousand men he killed, right? And so your job is to find out uh, what his source of strength is. And so little by little, he compromises that, right? Well, if you braid my hair, uh, if you tie me up with, uh, you know, twigs that have never, you know, brand new twigs and brand new ropes, he, little by little, then he gets to the point where he says, well, if you braid my hair, and finally... In the end, and the thing that always is interesting to me about this is that every time he would tell her what the source of his strength was, if you, he would say to her, well, if you bind me, if you tie me up with new ropes, I won't have any strength left. And so she tied him up with new ropes and, and said, the Philistines are here. And he jumps up and he snaps them. And then she said, well, she said, oh, baby, you weren't honest with me. Baby, I thought you loved me. What is the source of your strength? Well, okay, it's not ropes. It's, it's twigs. You've tied me up. And so she t every, time, every time, when was it that she was able to bind him? It was when he went to sleep. She would caress him. She would lay down, honey, lay down. Put your, lap, put your head in my lap. She'd caress his long hair. And he would just, she'd just he would fall right to sleep in her lap. And then she'd tie him up with ropes. Or tie him up with a twig. 
or whatever he said. Oh, no, my strength is if you, if you braid the locks of my hair, so you braid the locks of his hair and wake him up, and then he would go out and he would, he would beat the Philistines again. And she just find, and she, every time it's like, honey, I thought you loved me. You're not being honest with me. Did it not click in his brain? Every time I tell her when my source of strength, she does that thing. That's dumb. That's just dumb. That's just dumb. I mean, I didn't know what other way to put it. And I mean, so only somebody that is absolutely, you talk about spiritual sleep and not being aware of your surroundings. He was oblivious to what the enemy was doing to him, right? It seems obvious to us, but I wonder how many ways that the enemy is working against you and me to rob us of our strength and of our power. And everybody around us may see it and may know, how, how do you not see what the devil is doing here? But we don't see it. It's a, it's a scary thought, isn't it? So you know what happens. Obviously, eventually, she lays him to sleep one more time and she realizes he was honest with me this time. He told her, it's my hair. Shave my head, I'll be like any other man. So she rocks him to sleep, shaves his head, bada boom, he's in bondage. And that is the enemy's goal for every child of God. <clears throat> every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father, the Bible says. God's intentions for us, according to Jeremiah, he said, God said, I know my intentions towards you, my thoughts about you. They're good thoughts. Not thoughts of evil. They're good thoughts that you may have an expected end. So every thought of God is a good thought in that he wants the best for our life. Every thought of the enemy about God's people is that we end up in bondage. That's his goal. If I can't beat him, I'm going to tie him up. That's what we talked about this just a little bit in Bible study Wednesday night. Satan tried everything he could to stamp out the gospel. I mean, when Jesus died, he rose again, and the disciples go out and they're preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved left and right. And all these people are starting to believe in Jesus, and Satan comes along and he tries to stamp it out. I'm going to silence the gospel by killing these Christians. And every Christian he killed, there was ten more ready to share the gospel. The more he tried to stamp it out, the bigger it grew. And so what he did then, he thought, well, if I can't stop it, I'll pollute it. So he brings in, you know, Judaizers, and they try to mix the gospel, and mix grace with law, and, oh, well, you can, we're saved by Jesus, but you also got to do this, and you also got to do that. Or on the other side with some of the Gentile Christians, it was like, well, yeah, you know, you can live for Jesus, but you can kind of keep doing the same pagan sinful things that you've always done. So he just, I, if I can't stop it, I'll just pollute it. And that's the way he looks at all of us is that, if I can't keep them out of church completely, if I can't keep them away from God, then, then I'll just kind of, if you can't beat them, you know, join them, I'll just see if I can rock them to sleep to where at least they may go to heaven, but at least they won't take anybody with them. Amen? That's his goal. Jesus gave parable after parable, two of which, let me just tell you real quickly, Jesus, on, this, on this line, Jesus gave two parables, one about the ten virgins, Right? Ten virgins, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. They don't know when he's coming. They're just supposed to be ready. That's the command. The bridegroom is coming. Just be ready when he gets here. Five of those virgins were foolish. Five of them were wise. Five were prepared for the uh, bridegroom. Five were not. But they were all... What, what were they doing when the bridegroom came? They were all sleeping. The message Jesus was conveying was, don't sleep. Don't be spiritually asleep. Always be watching for the coming of Jesus Christ. Don't get comfortable in our, in our church pew and in our, our little world 
Always be alert, awake, and ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. There's another parable he gave about um, uh, this man. So this man went out and he, he planted good seed in his fields. So let's, let's call it wheat. It's good wheat and he, he, he just scatters it all out and he has a good crop. And this, the, wheat, the seed that he puts in his field is good. And it will produce fruit. And it will feed many. But the problem was an enemy... One of this guy's enemies came in and he planted a bunch of tares or weeds, uh, worthless weeds and stuff that just kind of grew up. And a person said, well, how, how would an enemy be able to sneak in and just maliciously plant a bunch of bad seeds in a field that's full of good seeds? Do you know when the enemy came and sowed those bad seeds? While the men slept. While they were asleep, there was no guard, there was no watch over the field to make sure that an enemy couldn't destroy it. Everybody just went to bed thinking, I, it's, it'd be fine. And an enemy got in there and sowed some stuff that shouldn't be. And so then what happened was some of the, the, guy, the guy's servants said, well, we can go through there. We can pull up the, the, wheat, the weeds. We can, just get it, we can pull. He said, no, you can't do that. If you pull up the weeds, what's going to happen? You're going to pull up some of the good wheat too. So what you have to do is let it all grow together. And so every time they would harvest this wheat, they would have to put up with the weeds, right? But if somebody would have set a watch around that field and those weeds would have never been planted, then they wouldn't have had to deal with them. You know how many things in our life we have to, because we reap what we sow, right? We know that. And you know how many things in our life, I know especially if I can speak for myself, how many things we have to deal with our, our entire life? Bad things, things that the enemy has has brought about in our life uh, consequences from times past, times when we just kind of drifted off to sleep and wasn't really listening to God. There's a weed pops up in my life every day of some sort, it seems like. So what if God's people every day are, are heeding the alarm, seeking God with a whole heart, taking in His Word, being filled with His Spirit, working in the kingdom? What if we were alert and awake every day and the enemy wasn't allowed to come in and plant seeds of temptation, seeds of doubt, seeds of fear, and all those things that torment us for years to come. So my goal here this morning, within this, you know, like I said a minute ago, the alarm clock is meant to uh, startle us, get us up, and, and get us ready for the day. And so this is actually the first Sunday in January. It's the first Sunday of the year. Isn't it? Yeah, first Sunday. It's the first Sunday in 2019. And so what better way uh, for God to kind of wake us up to start our year? Amen? To set the tone for, and I'm not just talking about some cheesy New Year's resolution that you're going to forget about, you know, by the second Sunday in the year. <clears throat> But I believe that throughout Scripture, every time God sounded an alarm and people woke up to it, every time people would say, because there's always there's, there's a mixture of people in every crowd, every time God gives a message like this uh, throughout the times, there's always some people who, who wake up and they, they realize, like, that's true. That's true. I have really gotten 
kind of lax in my spiritual walk. I, I, I need I need to wake up. And I see, I, I can feel the tug. I can tell the enemy is, is working against me. And that's true. So we, we heed the alarm and we get on our knees and we, we seek God and we, we go forward and, and it all works the way it's supposed to. But there's always some that says, hit the snooze, right? I, I, not, not right now. I'll wake up later. I'll, I'll get up later. And we just want to keep hitting the snooze button and just kind of prolong it, push it down the road. And how many... How many Christians do live that way? I'll do what God wants me to do someday. I'm going to hit snooze right now because I'm enjoying my life pretty good right now. So I'm just going to sleep for a while and then I'll wake up later. But we end up late at that point. Amen? We end up late. Oh, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Um, end with this thought. <clears throat> the disciples were uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now this applies, I could see myself, I would do the same thing, I guarantee it. I'm not knocking them at all. But Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, look, I'm about to be captured, tortured, and crucified. And they went to sleep. You know, you know what I'm saying? He said, I, I want you, would you pray with me for a while? And he takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is over there praying in agony uh, for what is coming his way, knowing that he's about to face the cross. And the disciples, they start off good for a little while. They're praying for a little bit, and they don't really understand the severity, I don't think, of what's going on. But they, they're, they're praying, but they, they did what, you know, naturally you would do when you kneel down with your eyes closed in the middle of the night. They went to sleep. So Jesus comes along, and he, he nudges them. He wakes them and gives them a wake up, wake up, I need you to pray. And they, oh, okay, yes, 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 yes. Back to sleep again. I think maybe three times he did that. And he said, and this is what he said to them, and this is what I want to encourage you with today. He said, First of all, he said, can't you pray with me for just an hour? But he said, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Jesus said, look, I, I know that your, your heart is in our place, and you, you want to stay awake, you want to pray with me, you want to do the right thing, but your flesh is, is always allowing, the devil, you're allowing the devil to rock your, your flesh to, to sleep. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, I'm somewhat preaching to the choir here. You're here this morning for one reason, because you, you want God in your life. You're here because you want to seek God. But we are just like those disciples. Even though our spirit is willing and we want to do what is right in God's sight, even though right now, today, the first Sunday of the year, in our spirit and in our mind, we want to make this the year that we draw closer to God than we've ever been before. We would all say that. I want to, be, I want to draw closer. I want to know more about God's Word this, this year. And there, there are some really good, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the Bible through this year. And that's a great thing. I'm not knocking it. That's good. There are some really good read the, read the Bible in a year plans that you can do. And I, I, I encourage that. I think it's a great thing. But you can set off with your spirit being willing to do it. But then come along, you know, two months from now. And you get busy and you get sidetracked. And it's, it's easier to push that aside because our flesh is weak. So I'm just encouraging you. My, my desire is to just not let the flesh, try not to let the flesh have any more of a foothold in my life than what it already has. Let the Spirit of God be, be, have my ears open to the Spirit of God so that when He nudges me, I, 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 will, I will stay awake and be looking for the coming of the Lord. This may be the year. I don't know. This could be the I mean, we may never see 2020. I mean, if, if, we, if we do see 2020 then, you know, we'll see a lot clearer. I knew Matt would get it. I knew Matt would get it. 
wait, just let it count. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to say that. Where was I going? Oh, but, so we may never see 2020. Uh, but, and, and I'm not, okay, here's the thing. Let me say this. Is that I, I'm not, I can get up here and I can say, okay, the Lord may come this year. We may never see 2020. 2019 may be the last year. Therefore, we need to be prepared and ready because it may be our last. And that's good. That's true. That's fine. But what if, what if we know there's another 50 years left? Shouldn't we still serve God with that same intensity? I mean, do we really have to have impending doom coming our way before we'll actually do what God wants us to do? I don't think so. I think we should do what God wants us to do and draw closer to Him because He created us, because He died for us, because He longs for a closer relationship with us. Therefore, we ought to long for a closer relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. And that can never happen so long as we're sound asleep in our little, in our little life. Amen? I like the line in that song. Is God stepped into your world today. I like that. God stepped into your world today. God's not out there in the cosmos somewhere. God walked into, was born into, Jerusalem, into Bethlehem. God walked into Jerusalem. God is right here in our midst today. I mean, literally, God walked into your world today. So, what are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? Are we going to take advantage of His presence and let God shake us a little bit? I hope that, that we do. My, my role is really not any different. God told Ezekiel, He said, look, what I want, I've called you to be a watchman. You just, every city puts a watchman out on the wall of the city, and when he sees things coming, he sounds an alarm. And, and basically what God said is, if, if, you, if you sound an alarm, the watchman sounds the alarm, and everybody sleeps through it, then that's all on them. That's all on them. But if you don't sound the alarm and they all perish, then that's on you. right? So I serve as nothing more than just a watchman this morning in sharing with you from the Word of God. And so now it's up to you whether you wake up and heed the alarm or just kind of let it drift you off on sleep. And I hope for the former. I hope that we'll all be more alert and more awake uh, to the things of God.